This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka, and that is me. Uh, I'm here with director and producer Reese Thomas. If you do not know his name, you have certainly seen his work. Uh, for a long time, he, was, he spent years directing short films for Saturday Night Live. If you're lucky, you've seen his work in Documentary Now, the excellent documentary parody tribute that first aired on IFC. It's over on Netflix now. And I'm speaking today because he's directing and producing Hawkeye, which debuts on Disney Plus over Thanksgiving break. Welcome, Reese. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, that this is by far the biggest budget project with the most attention and biggest audience you've ever, biggest potential audience you've ever worked on. Is that right? Yes. I'm not known for potential audiences. Uh, so yeah, that's a fair assumption. We'll go through your whole CV, but but you you know you spent years working on Saturday Night Live, making films that millions of people saw, but probably didn't know that you made them. Now you're going to make something that lots, I assume, many more people are going to see. What is the um, and may still not know that you worked on? Um, what is the the biggest difference to go from making short films for SNL to making a big budget Marvel production? It genuinely, I think, is the uh, the audience. I mean, obviously, SNL um, it's a it's a show with a with a sort of a, a built-in following, much like Marvel. Um, but but SNL, I don't think you have a time to um, to rest on your laurels or look back or um, or even anticipate the reaction at all. That you're just you know it really does run week to week, and uh, and you're sort of just you're, you keep your head down uh, in a certain type of chaos that sort of can distract you from the. the the outside world um, and and reception and uh, and I, I, and yes, I think it's funny. I, that's why I realized that between documentary now and, and comrade detective and all these things, that I make I've made things for such niche audiences um, up until now. Maybe it's some sort of uh, safety uh, uh, thing that I, I do. And yeah, I sort of suddenly exposed myself with Marvel, like standing again, going to the LA premiere last night and seeing people lined up across the streets and um, and just feeling that enthusiasm. It's you're like, oh God, people watch these things. This is not. This is different. right. It's not. A, it's not only a huge audience. It's a, a big chunk of that audience is very invested in the project. Right? They care deeply about Marvel and the characters and the interconnected storylines yeah. have been going on for a couple decades. Um, do you raise your hand to volunteer for a project like this? Does it come to you? I I didn't. I, I absolutely would. Yes, would raise my hand, and uh, I think always sort of had it as this. Uh, you know, as a as a maybe one day uh, kind of thing. So, but when it came to me, it, it was kind of a surprise. Uh, yeah, I was called in generally to come and meet at Marvel and was somewhat mystified as to what it could be. Um, my my maybe my my Welsh pessimistic side um, assumed I was like well, they've probably got some weird high concept web series that they want to try <laughs> try out. <laughs> uh, that's probably why I want to meet uh, and. Uh, but yes, yeah, so, you know the idea of the, the the streaming series was introduced to me there, and um, and also you know I was asked if there was a character that that particularly interested me, and um, and yeah, and Hawkeye was my answer in a heartbeat. Which really you 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 you, you, you had Hawkeye picked from the from the get go, or did they say here's five choices? What do you like? 
No, it was kind of, it was Hawkeye, and, and actually, I, I sort of ha- got a surprised reaction um, in the room as well, which was specifically why I think Hawkeye was interested to to me. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I'm a medium comic fan. I, I can't say I'd ever spent time thinking about Hawkeye until I, he showed up in the Avengers movies. Um, yeah, something you, someone you'd been following in, in in comic pages for years, I guess. Yeah, well, no, it's, I I my. My access point was, I think, the same as you, and that I, I, I came to know him sort of through Jeremy Renner and mm-hmm. uh, and the MCU first and foremost. Um, but was always intrigued by him because he doesn't have superpowers. Um, he's essentially just a, a guy with a very specific skill and a strong work ethic. And um, you know, but they, they, he has a family at home, and and the, the, I don't know. There's a relatability to him, and then you know, and and a world weariness that felt interesting. And but then. There's this run of uh, of uh, this sort of seminal run of Hawkeye um, comics by Matt Fraction, um, and and that had crossed my path. And and you know again when I when I sort of looked into the character further, uh, when I became a fan, I mean that that was the thing that because it, it essentially encapsulated exactly what I wanted to see of this character. Can you give us a sense of of scale production? This is six hours of TV that I assume took you a year plus to make. Uh, when you're making an SNL show. Uh, an SNL clip that's you're turning it around within a week, I, b- I believe, right? Less than a week. Less uh, than a week. Not, yeah, a day. So, <laughs> so you've got a day to make that versus however long it took to make this. I mean, how many? Can you give us a sense of sort of the proportion? Like, how many? What sort of things do you get access to when you make a show like this that is not available when you're when you're making a SNL uh, sketch in a day? Uh, forethought. Uh, yeah, it's um again, SNL is very. Uh, reactive, you know, you, you don't really, again, like I said, you don't have time to look up really. You just have to make decisions very quickly and, and kind of go with your gut a lot because yeah, there's just you, literally from the moment you get the script on a Wednesday night, you're kind of go, go, go. And so it's just quick decisions, quick decisions. And, and that's what you learn is just keep moving and, and, um, and just trust that you'll have something by Saturday. Uh, whereas yes, this is obviously a completely different beast. It's a big machine and, uh, with expectations and and you know the thing about these shows is that you know it's 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 Kevin Feige's universe it's the MCU and they don't differentiate between the movies and the shows you know I think on a quality level they want them all obviously they're part of the same world so they should look and feel and uh, exist in a similar place so yeah you're kind of stepping into that machine and 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 you have to meet a level and and you've got you know, everything's planned to, uh, to to precision. You know, from uh, concept artists and uh, you know designing costumes and and uh, and just even like tonally um, concepting it. And then you know, obviously previs. Uh, it was a, that was a whole new world for me. Um, you know, where where you sort of start tackling um, set piece sequences from storyboard and then build those into a previous sequence. And then and then that previous sequence then also goes to a stunt team that that, that sort of take it. You know, those yeah, like specific I, I assume you're doing limited stunts on Documentary Now and, and uh, SNL, yeah, Matthew yeah, McConaughey very, paradise. Very much, uh, yeah, off-the-cuff off uh, stunts. So, yeah, it's 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 a whole different beast. I assume it's a trade-off in autonomy, though, too. I mean, SNL is also a machine, but I, I, I assume that no one really has time to sort of give you a lot of notes about what you're doing. You just go out and do it. And I assume your time at Marvel was spent with tons of notes and tons of discussions with Kevin Feige and, and, and tons of asks slash requests slash demands from the Marvel folks. Yeah, I, I mean, yes, for sure. It's a it's a completely uh, different thing in that way. But you know, honestly, what I came to learn was that it, it's because of this audience that we're talking about and these fans. And 
I, my what I came to learn was that no one understands it better than Kevin, and I think what the expectations are and where these things slot. And so, while you know my job is obviously to sort of try and work out the best way of of, of building a story in a world that serves these characters. Kevin's the one that's sort of thinking uh, ahead more to where this slots in every into everything else, and and so, you know that that's that's the sort of the, the check. And and what's wonderful kind of about the way that at least my experience on it was that it's not like they it's not like you sort of walk into Marvel's offices and and they lay out their their big master plan for you and go like you know just make sure that you do this this and this and da, da, da. you you're kind you are sort of in a little silo in some ways and and you are essentially trying to focus on the best story to tell for these characters, you know, and and it's only really, you know, I think when you maybe trip on a concept or an idea that might be happening in another show or a movie is, is when you become aware of, of, of that, the existence of that thing. Right, because I assume they're, 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 I mean, quite clearly, right, you, this, this story has to link into the other stories. At the end of Black Widow, which I just saw, there's a cut scene which I guess relates to Hawkeye, and you guys have been coy about that in interviews, but we'll assume there's a connection. But that was a movie that was supposed to come out May of last year. Obviously, the pandemic scotched that plan. When so you're not only like dealing with interconnecting storylines, but you're also interconnect in a, in the real world. You're moving. You're talking about movies that were supposed to run a year ago that are now running now. Does that affect what you're doing and how you make it? The timing-wise, no. I mean, again, like I said, I only knew the story that was being used to set us up. Um, and but but yes, again, in terms of how these things lay themselves out, um, I didn't. I mean, you know, the, obviously we had the the fact that this was a Christmas show that slotted us into this specific moment. And, I, and you know, I think obviously a lot of the other movies and shows actually do move around frequently as they sort of work these things out of sort of, um, but but we we were stuck. You, you knew this had to run at Christmas time. There was no way oh, this was yeah, going to run yeah, in yeah. June. No, exactly. And it was funny, although Die Hard was a summer movie, so mm-hmm. um, which was what I would keep telling people when they started stressing about the fact we had to hit this date. But By the um, way, the previews certainly make a lot of allusions to Die Hard, right? That's intentional. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I, they, luckily that again, I, the, the trailers kind of came out that way. <laughs> uh, I, I'm a big fan of Die Hard and don't want to try and uh, claim that we sort of reach those heights because uh, I, I hold it on a high pedestal, but, uh, but it's fun that that's what people saw. So you knew you were going to go Christmas time. Um, any other decisions where you said, I want to do this. And Feige had to say, no, that's, that's not how the MCU does it. Or that's a great idea, but we have two movies from now. This is going to happen to this character. So that can't happen here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, they, the, the philosophy that they, they definitely seem to live by, um, and it, it is best idea wins. And so you are encouraged to, to kind of, you know, stay on your toes and, 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 and be open and keep doing that. But, um, I will sin from on, on this show. I think when I got started getting excited about the character, um, I the, the Matt Fraction run of comics is 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 very much has a sort of almost like a seventies New York kind of texture to it, and that really excited me. Just as a you know, and a world of movies that I I love and 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 noir and all that kind of stuff. And so I was definitely for a moment, um, I think sort of trying to charge more down that path of like really, I mean, getting to a more adult place with it for a moment. And uh, uh, and so, you know, got pulled back from that a little bit, I think. Uh, but we're not we're not doing we're not doing marathon man here. Uh, yeah, exactly. Or, or point blank. Um, we're not going to have yeah him pacing around a hotel room. Um, like I said, it's partly they understand their audience better than you do. I mean, and and you sort of have to realize like this. Oh, this is theirs. It's not mine. Um 
and, and you know, and you, you come out the other side and you start realizing, again, you start to see where it slots and you see uh, the other shows and what, how it's related and you realize like, oh, okay, yes, they, they were right about that. You've done short films. You've done a, f- a handful of movies. Um, this is six hours of episodic TV. Do you have any sense of how this would be different if it was a theatrical released film, a two-hour production? Oh, yeah, no, that, that's, yeah. I mean, again, it's, the what's fun about these streaming series, I think, is, uh, it, you know, it, the, it allows you to spend more time on character. And I think, you know, in a movie, you'd probably have to have a much higher stakes plot right from the get-go and, be charging these characters through it and and uh, you know i think the fun about this show is it, it, is that it actually it, it's like a snowball it, it's it we're able to start and come in i think with a focus on those characters and spend some time getting to know them and also kind of almost in an innocuous sort of slightly low stakes way um the, the show you know sort of gets going and and um partly because in clint's mind initially it's not a big deal it's like one more day i've got a, you know it's sort of a roll of the eyes of like all right and and clint, clint again, is it, hawkeye for the for the folks that, oh yes that, that sorry, are not yeah. deeply immersed in this world yes apologies um and uh yeah because it, it's that it's sort of that classic hero trying to get home to his uh family for the holidays is 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 the arc of this and um but yes it, it you know we're able to essentially pace things out and and let it grow and let it build and keep shifting gears, uh, which, which, yeah, you, in a two-hour movie, you'd just be holding on for your life and probably um, trying to get it out of the way of the plot. I, I'm assuming you were most done or mostly done with this by the time the first uh, Disney Plus MCU story started running uh, beginning no, we of this year thick. with WandaVision. We, no, you were, you were deep we into were it? We were kind of thick in it, yeah. We, we started shooting uh, last December. So, um, yeah, right around when that, that stuff. And they, they already had... Uh, we were prepping that, yeah. So they already had Wandavision and Falcon Winter Soldier. I think they were sort of just finishing up shooting uh, when we were starting to prep, and uh, and then yeah, we just got to see those come out as well while we were thick in it. Did watching those roll out and the reaction they got affect your work in any way, or or give you any sort of pause? I mean, Wandavision, I think, really surprised a lot of people because it was so unusual, so not a traditional MCU movie. Uh, people seem yeah. to respond well to it. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, again, I didn't, I didn't really know, they didn't, I didn't see those shows sort of early or anything. So I I didn't know necessarily what they were doing. I I knew it's sort of general, you know, obviously what people had seen of trailers and things. Um, And so, I mean, it was exciting to see that, again, with WandaVision, they were doing something so conceptual and bold. And and I'll admit, a part of me was like, well, that's what I do. Like, I do that thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm (laughs) parodying, parodying genres, like, and, and. Uh, and so, uh, but then to see the reaction, I mean, again, it's exciting and amazing to see how, how big they went and, and how they took off. But then it also, you get that follow-up of like, oh, dear God, like, yeah, well now, now we got to try and, um, don't screw it up. That. And it's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. I'm back here with Reese Thomas, 
we mentioned that you started at SNL. Uh, you didn't start, start at SNL. You were born in a small town in Wales. I guess all yes. towns in Wales are small towns. Uh, villages, actually, yeah. And and I think you had some theatrical or uh, um, theater experience. Um, but how do you yeah. go from there to making short films at SNL? So naivety and will. I Yes, I, I grew up in a, in a part of the world, in, in South Wales, where as a child, at least, there was no film industry. It's funny now, Doctor Who uh, and... BBC Wales and, and there's, it's sort of taken off and there's a whole thing going on there now. But but at the time, it seemed just so far away and I didn't know about film schools. I didn't know that was a thing that people, you could specifically go and study. And uh, But was always a big fan of film uh, in, in many different ways. I mean, at, at 12, I, I remember finding a book at the library about ILM and proudly carrying it around uh, on display so that people would assume that I was a uh, and, and new things. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but, but again, yeah, so my way in initially though, cause I, d- I didn't know it was, it was acting and, and cause that, you know, in literally sort of local theater and then, and then I sort of joined a theater company and, and kind of was going down that road, um, until, yeah, I got to university to continue that and, and was suddenly in a room full of actors and realized I just didn't have the competitive, uh, spirit that they had. Um, and also, you know, I realized the lack of control that you have as an actor in some ways over sort of what you do and where you do. So shifted my focus and, um, and getting out of university, you know, just really wanted to, to kind of pursue film and TV. So I headed to New York on a whim, uh, really, um, not, just not for, London, not LA. Like not LA well, no, well, LA was a huge cultural leap. I, I knew that, I mean, America, I didn't really know America at all. And New York was, you know, that, that much closer, um, but yeah, London, I, 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 you know, I, I left for Brazil when I was 18, I, I lived there for a year and then I went to university in Dublin and Ireland. So I, I think I just had this energy of wanting to keep moving. So rather than go back to the UK, I, I you know, just, and you know, America's America, it's, 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 it's where the bigger, bigger things, um, get made. And, uh, and so, yeah, I went to New York, didn't know, uh, yeah, how to get in, uh, what, you know, that I knew there was a, a world of things being made. I know they're know. making stuff here. I don't know yeah, how to exactly. get Yeah, exactly. So it. occasionally you'd pass crews and things. And so, I, you know, but started PAing for free on people's short films that they were pouring. They're one of those guys with the headset telling me I can't walk down the street because someone's <laughs> yes, filming. Yes, I did, did, all, did all that stuff. And, um, uh, and, but also, you know, I was working catering and I, I, uh, uh, basically within a space of a month, I've been there like six months doing, I had like five part-time jobs, but in the space of a month, I was, I was a manager of a Coldstone Creamery, uh, six months into my time in New York, singing for tips. Yeah. I was singing for tips and, uh, and I got, then I got a job as a receptionist at a commercial editing company, uh, which was thrilling that I suddenly had this full-time job in a, in a place where I didn't have to wear a uniform. And then, yeah, the, the film director for SNL uh, sort of came in one day and uh, to cut something, and I just sort of casually got chatting with him, uh, not really knowing who he was at lunchtime. And then two weeks after that, he calls up and says, hey, my assistant's leaving. Do you want to come and, uh, and, and work for me? And so, yeah, suddenly, yeah, within a month, I'm basically now from Coldstone to kind of being this uh, – in, in this world of SNL, uh, it, you know, on the, on the film unit uh, side. And so what was uh, your first job at SNL? What was your, you were, you were a production I was, assistant? Um, I was basically like production assistant. I was the assistant to Jim Signorelli, who was the, the, he'd been the film director there since 1975. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think the first film set, professional film set I stood on, we were, it was Will Forte playing Benny Hill, playing Jesus. Uh, it was, a, I can't remember what, it, I think it was like a, it was one of those like film bits that dropped into a sketch, but yeah, we were on a, 
a field uh, just you know uh, uh, above New York um, with with Will Forte just in a a little sort of toga type thing um, chasing ladies around dressed as Jesus. <laughs> so SNL famously, right, the, 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 on this weekly production schedule, the guest star comes in, people are pitching sketches that week. I guess it sort of makes sense that people are doing live TV that way. I always assume that, that the filmed stuff could be done weeks or months in advance, but it sounds like it's not. It's done the same, no. at the same pace. No, yeah, I think it used to, you know, I think there was a time for a long time they would, yeah, often shoot a week ahead um, and, and bank things. And then the way that Jim told the story was I, I think there was a, a week in the, in the, like probably right at the end of the 90s or, or early 2000s where, like not long before I started, um, where I think there was a, a topical, you know, sort of a, a, a topical moment happening. And so someone pitched a film or, you know, a commercial uh, and, you know, it was a Wednesday because Wednesday is traditionally when the scripts actually sort of, you know, they, they write on Tuesday night and Wednesday is when we have a read through. And so the script came out on Wednesday and it was like, can you make this, you know, this week and you get it on the show? And they did it. It's Wednesday. But, we air on Saturday. Can you make this? Yeah. Time? Yeah. Can you make this? And they shot on film, you know, like that's the thing when they, when, when I started there, it was, you know, we were shooting on, on 16 or 35, depending on what the, what was appropriate and, um, and, you know, getting it processed and all that kind of stuff. So, but they, they pulled it off and, and that's what Jim said. He was like, once we did that, there was no going back. And so when I was there, you know, I can maybe count on one hand, the amount of times that we maybe did something on a Tuesday or, you know, like a little bit ahead. Um, uh, and you know, sometimes that was just because actually that's the, the thing, there's maybe a couple of pieces just like where it was like, oh, well this, this thing this script is actually perfect for that host. And so you could kind of, you know, you could see it coming a little a little further out. So you started as a PA and eventually work up to being the head of, of that department where you're, you're the, the director. Yeah, yeah, I came up through production. And so I, I um, and, and you know, the good thing about SNL, it's like a school year. So you go from September to May and then, and then you have the summer off. Uh, it's, you know, when I say summer off, you're not paid. So you're essentially just sort of cast out into the world. And so my first year... I, I went off into the summer, didn't know if I was going to get hired again. No, I had no idea where I stood. They don't, they don't, there's no sort of job security. And I went and worked on the Graham Norton effect. Um, they were shooting in New York and with a, so it was a British production team. And, uh, and, and essentially when that came to an end, it timed out right when SNL was starting up. And I thought, okay, I'm going to call them. I really, I would really love to go back there. And I called kind of tentatively and, and but sort of also lied a little bit about what I'd been doing that summer and sort of elevated my p responsibilities. And so somehow managed to come back in that next season as a production coordinator. And then the season after that, I was suddenly the line producer for the film unit. And um, so I was now sort of managing their money and, and yeah, running production for them. And I had no idea what I was doing uh, and was way in over my head. But, um, but again, you go week to week. And so it was just about making it through each week, essentially. And, uh, but I did that for seven years uh, in the end um, under Jim Signorelli. But also over these years, I, I produced for um, Jason Reitman came in and guest directed and Noah Bornbach. And, 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 you know, so I got to see and work with some other people. And, and, and you know, to me, it was a, it was a long journey of, of film school and confidence building. I, I sort of always wanted to direct. But like I said, I never quite knew all felt entitled to, you know, to say that I could do it. Um, I, I had to understand it, I think, first and, and, you know, feel like I knew it. So you're basically getting paid to go to film school, except everyone's yeah, seeing, your, except and, everyone's and, seeing you know, your student work. Yeah, yeah. And no, that's the thing. Literally the first, you know, the first film that I made uh, that I directed, yeah, played on SNL. Um, I, I didn't have a short film in my pocket. 
the nice thing about, uh, I assume it's the nice thing about all this is that I, all this stuff is archived and exists on YouTube and everywhere else. Uh, what, what is your, your, your favorite project you worked on at SNL so people can go look it up on YouTube? Well, uh, I, I did a, I did a Wes Anderson parody of a horror movie, um, with Ed Norton that, uh, Edward Norton, sorry, likes to be known as Edward, that, that people enjoy. Um, I, the, the first, the first piece that kind of, I felt like I defined a little bit of what I could maybe contribute or do was, um, I did a British, a British gangster trailer with Bill Hader and, and, uh, John Mulaney wrote it. Um, then the whole joke was, it was sort of like a Guy Ritchie type thing, but, uh-huh. but you know, that everyone was unintelligible in it. And, so and like then, snatch amped up. It was snatched out, amped up and, you know, and, and, you know, it was, a, it was the whole movie was basically just about a really small amount of money. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so that I, I, you know, I did that and that was the first one where I sort of kind of went for it again. Like, like I said, we do those things, we shoot them in a day, you get one day to prep it, but I, you know, I kind of tried pushing things as far as I could and, and, and sort of made my target in, in those early, those first few years of doing it. I just, I sort of, I knew the expectations of the show. Obviously, I've been doing it a long time. And so part of my goal was always just to try and deliver something that kind of went beyond what people thought I could do in that day. Um, if, even if it was one shot that just felt felt bigger or, or surprising, I, that was... And my crew, the, we slowly just got more and more ambitious and kind of crazier. And uh, and yeah, there were days... I mean, I did this Tarantino uh trailer as well with Christoph Waltz that was it was Christoph Waltz playing Jesus <laughs> I mean, it was another <laughs> Jesus thing uh and with that was like a 24-hour shoot I think we rolled we had like three crews cycle through it was just me my DP and my AD kind of stayed on throughout but but people were just changing out and, and you we were literally working for 24 hours straight oh yeah we started yeah. in the morning and, and yeah and then you know kind of 6 a.m on Saturday finished shooting and I mean Wes Anderson was a little bit like that we didn't start we actually didn't start shooting that until about 11 o'clock at night on Friday night and we went through until 6 a.m. And then, yeah, you, you, you go straight to editing it and, uh, and then it's playing a dress rehearsal by, by, you know, eight o'clock. Uh, I'm not, I'm night. not a doctor, but that doesn't seem like a very healthy work environment. Exactly. That's why, that's why I eventually had to leave. Um, yeah, it's, it's unhealthy. And you know what the thing is, it's like any sort of, uh, I think addiction is, uh, yeah, you're, you're aware it's not good for you, but then it plays on Saturday night in front of an audience and, all is forgiven. You forget how exhausted you are and, and what you've been through and the frustrations of what didn't happen and, and how unreasonable the schedule, all of that stuff goes out the window when it plays and, and you know, people are laughing and, and you, you know, the audience at home, if it goes over well, it's like you're kind of exhilarated again and ready to do it. And then you restart the whole thing in a couple of days. Um, exactly. And, and so it seems like there's a pretty direct line from there to documentary now, which you made with Fred Armisen and Bill Hader from SNL, as long as yeah. Seth Meyers from SNL. Um, it's one of my favorite things. It's really weird and quirky and shouldn't really exist. <laughs> um, it's these note for note. I don't know if parody is the right word. It's kind of homage too. Right? Homage these, is what we, we've yeah. tried sort of calling. Yeah, we try not to be mean about it. You're referencing very specific documentaries that if you are a hardcore documentary fan, you probably know. And if I think most audiences might know a couple of them. Um, how did that come about? And, 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 and what's, I mean, beyond the fact that you're making it with SNL cast, what, is there a through line between that and the stuff you were doing at SNL? I think so. Yeah. Like, like I said, I think I started at SNL, I started honing in on doing genre specific things. I mean, it was a little bit, but sort of like, okay, we're going to do a, a Tony Scott style thing this week. You know? And, and so, uh, you know, I became kind of a quick study, I think at sort of figuring out the, the, 
the grace notes of, um, you know, looking at something and trying to figure out what it was specifically that, that identified it as that. And so Documentary Now actually came out of a, uh, a, a short film that I did that Seth Myers wrote um, and Bill and Fred were in uh, called The History of Punk. And it was just this short little mini documentary about a, a, a you know, a, a fake punk band from uh, late 70s, early 80s Britain. Um, and the thing that identified them and marked them as special was that their lead singer was was incredibly pro Thatcher. Um, <laughs> and again, it was a very specific observation and yeah. uh, and he just sort of stuck to it. And so, uh, but we got Steve Jones from the Pistols to sort of give a little testimonial to kind of elevate them. And, and we shot fake concert footage and photographs. And it was sort of all the things that documentary now kind of evolved into. And, um, but, and yeah, the, the guys took that to, uh, IFC and sort of said, you know, we want to make a show like this. We don't know what it is, but something like this. And um, and so it took us a year to, I think, figure out specifically the approach, uh, you know, just because I, I think we knew we didn't want to just do a, a mockumentary show. Um, because because yeah. that already existed or? It already existed. And and um, and I think, again, we just sat around and started talking and you started, and yeah, naturally we're talking about documentaries and and just, I think, just ideas just started coming out about just the, the you know, Fred, Fred and Bill um, are just really good at seeing the absurdity in some of these things in the, in the reality, and, and just the odd touches and the odd characters that emerge from them. And and it really was that that we just started, you know, realizing that there was this sort of wealth of of touch points, and um, and then yeah, and, and it sort of grew from there. And then in terms of again. Uh, myself and, and Alex Bono, who I, I make the show, he was my DP at, at SNL. And, and then we sort of went on to do Duck Now together. I think we also just realized, like, well, if you're going to do Great Gardens, you know, we can't just do a sort of a, a kind of a lookalike or, again, like a parody of it um, because it's a it's a seminal documentary and it's and it means so much. And and you're almost, again, you're, you're like, you want to do justice to the actual thing. So we got really specific about matching as closely as we could the look and the feel of those things and, and sort of, I think, trying to underline just how great and specific they were. And in some cases you went and got the same lenses for the cameras. Like it's yeah. really, it's, it's no, really. No, we researched the film stocks that they shot on and, and the lenses and, and uh, yeah, and try and just really look at how exactly it was done and, 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 and match it. So I, I, I'd heard of Grey Gardens, but I had never seen it um until i and, and and the first the first glimpse i got was your parody of it i assume you have a lot of people telling you similar things because a lot of these things are are relatively obscure um or you know they're at least old i'm wondering if there's ever pressure to go like look i mean i know that you want to do these very arch things that are very specific but you know most it, the audience isn't even the most committed audience isn't going to get what you're doing here is there a way you can sort of reach out to a broader audience so more people can enjoy the work no i will i will take my hat off to ifc um like they season one again we did not really know what the show was they didn't know what the show was we sort of started going down this route of great gardens and and um you know and, and errol morris became a touchstone so we started it was like oh we're gonna do you know the eagles documentary like those will feel like things but yeah in that season that first season we were essentially like, look, we want to do Nanook of the North, which is sort of credited, you know, as possibly one of the first documentaries and it's silent and it's in black and white. And, you know, they're like, does it really have to be silent? Like what, you know, and that was like sort of the first nudge. And, and does it have to be in black and white? Like, yeah, we think it does. It really, okay. And and then it was like, oh, and we're going to do this fake Al Capone festival. Fred had this crazy idea and we're going to go do it in Iceland. 
and and then actually I think we're going to do it in Icelandic as well because um, that's what feels right. And we want to make this at least the least accessible piece of content we can. Yeah, and and really, it's, again, I, what I love about it is that really. I don't think any of us really thought about an audience. We genuinely that we were just sort of channeling like what would make us laugh and what felt good. Um, and we just happened to have a venue and, and partners in IFC that, you know, they just kind of got behind it. I don't think, yeah, again, like I said, I don't think anyone really understood what we were doing, but, uh, and it, you know, again, it continues to have a very niche specific audience. Um, it's not like I think any, it's, it's, the fun about this show is that it's it's kind of a passion project for everyone. It's it's like a it's like a part time job. Like everybody's got real jobs and and real shows where, where we're all it, sort of. It definitely feels like that because there kind of isn't a reason for it to exist other than you guys want to make it. Yes, exactly. Which yeah, it's kind of that's which is a joy. So when we do come together to make it, it's like let's do it. You know, like and let's let's lean in. There's an excellent Vice parody of that first season as well. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yes. That was the one. That's probably the meanest. I think we actually get because we're we, you know we're definitely sort of targeting those guys and and i remember fred in particular fred's sort of the nicest person in the world and doesn't have a mean bone in his body and i remember he was particularly nervous about you know taking that approach to them and and um they get they so, get shot repeatedly is is, uh, is the punchline yes, yes. <laughs> yes. well it's, it's more the, the joke it was more just about how it seemed like there was this energy of just again watching hipsters sort of really proud of themselves that they were standing sort of on the front lines of some crazy... Right, which, which was the vice pitch, right? We're taking guys with funny facial hair and putting them yeah. in war zones and they might get shot on camera. Yeah, exactly. And it, so it felt dangerous and it felt irresponsible in some ways. And, and so, yeah, kind of that was the observation. But, and then of course... Vice were super into it when it came out. Yeah, <laughs> because, as they should uh, be. And so all was okay. So you are you have finished a Marvel project. Um, you've gone from making short films, sort of amp, ramping up, ramping up. What is? Do you want to keep scaling up and doing bigger and more ambitious stuff? Or do you go back and say, ah, you know what? Let's work at a smaller scale again. Honestly, I, I, I kind of hope, hopefully I can continue doing both things. To me, again, I, I, I'm lucky. Well, not lucky because the budgets wouldn't say that. But um, having a venue like Documentary Now and, and, and working on shows like that or, or Comrade Detective that I did with Amazon, which is also just a very niche thing for a very specific type yeah, of audience. We should, can we sidebar for a second? Because I had yeah. literally never heard of Comrade Detective until this morning when I was doing some last minute <laughs> Googling. I'm like, wait, you, you made a, a show with Channing Tatum for Amazon that I've literally never heard of. And I write and follow. I, I cover this stuff professionally. You made an Amazon show with Channing Tatum. And it's yeah, it's, it still Romanian. exists. You can find it. Yeah. In Romanian. Yeah. It's yeah, a it's a yeah. cop show. It's a it's a nineteen. It's set in nineteen eighty two Romania, and and the whole perspective on that is essentially it was as though the Romanian government, were like once saw saw the propaganda that that you know like they saw Rambo being made and Rocky being made, and we're like we need that version. Uh, you know we need something like that for us, and so it's it's essentially through the guise of this kind of state machine making this this a police thriller, but it's a piece of propaganda as well, and. Again, really like specific, um, and uh, yeah, it just again like it just appealed to my sense of just like I, I, number one, it was kind of a genre that I love. Um, like again, doing sort of a seventies kind of thriller felt really exciting. But yes, it's also this super specific weird observation, um, 
And uh, yeah, so did that. But um, yeah, no, again, not known for picking projects that have audiences. <laughs> I mean, it's on the more, one hand, like the streaming boom means seems like there's all kinds of stuff getting made in finance that just wouldn't have 10 years ago because there's fewer places, there were fewer places to put it. There was less yeah. overall appetite for quote content end quote. Right. And so that seems like that's all good for you. And then the flip side would be you can make a show for Amazon and even people like me who are fans of your work are not familiar with it because it gets yeah. buried somewhere in the ether. No, I got buried. I mean, I, again, I, I mean, I don't think I went into it thinking it was going to be big, but you, again, that I remember, I do remember like it was a 24, you know, uh, we're our partners on it. And, uh, and yeah, Channing was involved. I mean, we had every, if you look at the casts, like we had Daniel Craig and, and, Kim Basinger. And uh, I mean, it's kind of ludicrous, like Richard Jenkins. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And I, so I thought, well, maybe this, I might actually have a show that might get advertised. Like we might, it's Amazon as well. I was like, I was convinced. It's like, cause again, documentary now, it's just, just a show that we get like one billboard in LA, I think when it comes out and, uh, and I thought, oh, this is going to get marketed <laughs> and uh, didn't. Because uh, turns out, how do you market a Romanian police thriller? It's um, it's 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 a tough challenge. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so anyway, so yeah, so so here I am with Hawkeye, <laughs> and you got Hawkeye. So that's going to be on a few billboards here and there. Yeah. And so, I mean, do you want to do a big budget, like a full big budget action film? Now that you've done an episodic version of that. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I I love the genre, and um, I, I think if I if there was something. To me, again, the appeal of Hawkeye and Jen. This, this, yeah, I'm, I'm being genuine about this. Is that it was the character ultimately, and and the characters that they wanted to introduce, and and it, you know the action's cool and 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 everything. But um, you know, to me, I think what marks things like Die Hard and and Midnight Run and um, that sort of that era, um, you know, ultimately were these sort of interesting flawed characters and flawed heroes. Um, you know, and and yes, they had sometimes outlandish plots but i don't know i felt like the plots always somewhat came secondary to the to the character um bits and so I, you know I, I would love to find something um you know that had had commercial value um but but sort of maybe had something a bit more meat on it would be great um but yeah I, again i'm sort of all over the place it's really it's just if it feels like a fun tone that i can lend something to then and that that will be it whether it's big or small that's that is uh, a good open plan for the future. Um, <laughs> you guys can all watch Hawkeye presumably now when you're hearing this, or maybe within a day or two of hearing this on Disney. I'm gonna go on Amazon and watch uh, and watch Comrade yes, Detective. Do. Yeah, and uh, I'll report back on my viewing. Reese Thomas, nice to meet you. Thanks for coming on. Nice to meet you. Thank you. That was super fun. Thanks again to Jelani and Joel who produce and edit the show. Thanks again to our sponsors who let us bring this show to you for free. A bunch of more cool stuff is coming your way for free in the near future. Thanks for listening. Thanks for writing. Talk to you soon.